Welcome everyone to the Let's Talk Climate Justice Forum and thank you for joining us. Um, there are quite a few people so let's just get started. Um, as you all know we are the blog squad and we're just a small mighty team um, of students who are um, really excited to talk with Sandra and our guest speaker and um, look at her perspectives and listen to her voice. And um, I'm just going to pass this microphone on to Vanishka, who's going to talk a little bit more about the background. Um, and yeah, let's get started. Hey guys, so I'm Vanishka, and um, it's my first time, I guess, I mean, second time. I'm still quite new to this. And it's my first time on a podcast. But I'm still going to start off with the background. So um, just a little background on building you and the motivation behind this discussion. So Building You is a Canadian nonprofit organization that is mainly structured around teams of high school students and um, each high school team produces resources that can be useful to all high school students and it also helps build skills for the team members that are producing them. Um, so the Block Squad is one of those teams that is us and we usually pick things that are interesting to one or more of us. Um, usually things that we don't know much about, so we could um, go through the process and I guess the journey is like really important because all the research that um, that is done before the thing actually happens, the different point of views that are actually learned, I think all of that is pretty important. And um, just topics that are um, relevant to us and other high school students or anyone in general to know about. So we basically um, read articles, um, learn some things, talk about questions, and just host meetings to learn more about it. Yeah, and so uh, thanks, Manchika. And climate justice is our next big topic. That's and we sort of came upon climate justice. That was it was actually Allie was one of her things that she wanted to talk about. Climate change was one of her big interests, and then we had just come off a discussion on blockchain, and so energy trading was sort of something we were interested in as well. And oftentimes um, discussing a lot of big topics, um, multiple topics and seeing how they come together is something that we have done as a team before. So we started sort of investigating there. And one of the first things we came upon was this Power to the People documentary series, which was super cool. Of course, only the team members in Canada could ever see any of it, but um, super cool series that gave us a very, a very different perspective than what we had sort of started um, out with um, and, 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 talk, and thinking about climate change initiatives and energy. And then um, another person, another person from the team who actually is not here right now, but she, when she came in, she started talking about the land back movement. And um, again, we, something we hadn't even heard about at all. And that was super interesting. And um, uh, again, another difficult thing to get our head around. And uh, then we read about Dr. Kelsey Leonard and the idea that giving, uh, she has a fight for you know, the legal personhood of water. And then um, an another book that I came across was Indigenomics. And um, all of these things led us to like, this is just enormous. It's just an enormous, enormous topic. So what we decided to do essentially was, um, it, you know, this is just the start, the tip of the iceberg, one, one, one thing that we're discussing. So with that, let's talk about what the pieces that we want to discuss with us. Anushka and Arshad will go into that. Yeah, hi. So um, basically, we reached out to talk to people to try and get more information and get a better idea in general on how to focus our discussion, because obviously this is such a broad 
um, sometimes intimidating topic. Um, so our research extended from pieces on climate justice to energy challenges, land, environment issues, and even education. Through it all, we found that the concept of Indigenous perspective was more than just helpful, but inextricably linked to creating a sustainable approach to solving what seemed to be insurmountable problems. But in order to discuss the merits or the unfair dismissal of a particular worldview as a significant potential factor in more sustainably addressing climate, energy, economic, and education issues, we feel that everybody should start with at least some relatively accurate shared understanding of an indigenous worldview. Now to get that worldview, we have a guest on and Jesse will introduce her. We were fortunate enough to chat with a member of the Big Stone Cree Nation, Sandra Lamouche, who can most definitely speak to this worldview. Sandra grew up in Canada near forests in the northern region of Alberta. As an award-winning educator and internationally renowned champion hoop dancer, she was able to share Indigenous stories through movement, art, dance, writing, and speaking. With over 15 years of experience and over 10 international styles of dance, Sandra is known for specializing in the hoop dance and Indigenous contemporary dances. Her gift in the arts is truly remarkable. Aside from dancing, Sandra has also been able to share a voice in multiple TEDx talks that have shared beautiful messages of how to grow through challenges throughout life. She has graciously agreed to take part in this discussion, and we all look forward to listening to her perspectives on these issues. And now I'm just going to pass this over to Ali, who's going to be talking about the structure of this discussion. So just before we hop into the topic, we want to let you know that you we welcome comments and questions from everyone in this call. So to accommodate that, please feel free to raise your hand or write a comment in the chat. And if one of us from the team sees that um, you have a comment in the chat, you will, you will get a chance to share your thoughts. And just as an FYI, we are recording this meeting as an audio recording to share on Spotify as a podcast publicly later. And with that, I'll hand it off to Sandra if she wants to introduce herself a little bit. Tansa, Sandra Lamouche, Natsigasun, Nia Nihiao Esqueo, Ayesinu Ota Aski. Hello, my name is Sandra Lamouche. I'm a Cree woman and I'm a human of this earth, is what I also said. Yeah, I'm um, just recently finished my master's in Indigenous Studies and I took a lot of classes. It's very broad subject area um, that I took and it's um, indigenous politics and law, indigenous art, creative writing. So I really like that actually. I like um, to be like more multidisciplinary and I think um, what I know is like our people used to be like that. Like we didn't do the specialize in one discipline kind of thing and that's more of a um, Western way of thinking and uh, like with the enlightenment right there was all these specializations that came out of that um, so it made all these separate categories I think I think it's super important um, about I mean everyone is welcome to jump in on questions and um, but I think that um, as Arshad was saying um, you know when we talk about when we came into this discussion there's all these big issues in the world that have to be solved and when we were looking at um like climate justice um that climate justice mostly i think it's it's for for me and us we we kind of think of like 
a like a, a, a large focus on reconciliation and a large focus on, of course, like there's a lot of trespassing on lands and and um, people being like really really um, upset about things, rightfully very upset about things, and sort of but you're it's always focused on the things that um, indigenous peoples that have been take that have been taken away and and it and when what i saw from the power and the people and um, documentaries was how much um like this and i think akila the member of the team who's not here what she brought up and what we sort of are focusing on was how much this incredibly marginalized population historically perpetually marginalized into harm into like no into areas that are not supported at all like flourish like fl like flourish like some of these the energy things that we were watching in the documentaries were amazingly in like innovative engine and a lot of ingenuity and um like like and they all and, and that comes from an, uh, like a come it, it comes out of like a, a worldview and a way of sort of working together and a way of approaching things and i like i think of i think of a small community of people who aren't maybe uh, well i i i don't i, I, don't, I want to I think of my own small community. I don't think that we could come together and make something happen like that. So um, I wonder if you can speak like that happens for a reason. That's why I say in, that indigenous perspective is so inextricably linked to this pro these kinds of this kind of problem solving. And I, I think it's hard for us to understand how that can be because like it's like well we look at solving problems too. <laughs> what do you? you mean and so that's I would like you to kind of speak to that a little bit maybe yeah I think when you um with world views like first of all there's like thousands of different indigenous nations on Turtle Island so they're even in Canada's like 600 different indigenous communities so it is also in itself really varied um but when you think of world views it's kind of like the foundation of your thought and your actions it's the foundation of how how we live um, and um, because it's not actually actions a lot of times it's like guiding your actions I think people feel like how does it connect at all um, but when I did my thesis research I was looking at indigenous dance and well-being and what we found was that the most important part of it was when in indigenous dancers learned their culture and identity and um it was related to the spiritual aspect of ourselves so we have a spiritual physical emotional and a mental and um the the spiritual the culture and identity like the stories and the teachings they were presented as like um, options of knowing, options of behavior. And so when people really latched on to those, it's, it, sparked, um, it sparked action, it like ignited their spirit and it, cre it's, it ignited them into, um, into changing their physical behavior. So it was like a spark, you know, you're like sparking up people's spirit um 
and one of the things that we found is like well it has to be option like um not oppressive so it's more powerful if it comes from within our own um self-determination and then the other part of it was having role models and so if the role models are following the teachings and really um trying their best to to follow the values and the stories and and maintain that integrity then it influences anybody who um sees them their family and their friends and like even beyond that right if they're in community or whatever um so for me like the spirit the culture and identity is the most important spark of of it and so that's why we have all the teachings right is that's that's what you start to see is like okay you need to um like my cousin i was talking to him the other day and he's like make sure you say thank you when you drink water and i was like i do that but it was just like another reminder of like okay i need to um i i've done that before um but maybe i don't do it every single time but it just was like a reminder to me and so um relationships and renewal of of those relationships and renewal of the teaching so it's not like you just learn it once and then that's it but you like um you always uh you have lots of reminders from other each other and when you're with um community and you have relationships you um you like almost like motivate each other and so that's where community and relationships come into and then even just like simply down to a prayer right a prayer is like often they mention like the the winged ones and the praying for the water and the the ancestors in the future and like you're always and you're um it's just a reminder of those relationships and so it's like if that's what you do every day you know you're going to be more um thinking of that concerned about that your actions are going to maybe um be a more aligned with like taking care of those other relatives right those are uh, other relatives um i see we Arshad, have a... i was going to say arshad i thought you had a question too as well uh yeah so i just wanted to ask um like uh in 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 the society we live now like most people the um the, the our our preconceptions of of what ownership is and how what community is and what we should do for each other is so ingrained and it's so uh different from this like indigenous world view so do you think we can ever um implement this like this uh that world view in in today's uh society in today's um you know in 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 this in this uh culture <clears throat> um I so I first of all I find that our like western culture is very like you said individual materialistic and um focused on yeah focused on like mental knowledge like um education and also physical like physical appearance you know like that's where I think the um like shopping and and like luxury and all these physical materialistic things right um so where i see the biggest thing the biggest um gap is in the spiritual the culture and identity and canada has always struggled with identity 
you know, there's not really just a Canadian identity. Um, and you could see it happening this year, especially what like kind of went crazy with what it, you know, um, nationalism and stuff like that. Um, so you see it's still a struggle. And I talked with my, I was talking to my teacher friend the other day and she said from like outside perspectives, people, some people don't see, um, feel included in Canada. And one of the things is um, they see, like we say we're multicultural, but their friend had visited Canada and said, no, you're multicultural, but your cultural groups are all separate. And like, how true is that? Like we're basically segregated, right? Um, you have cultural centers for every other group, but they kind of often stick to each other and, and don't. It's not like everybody mixing um, a lot of times. And most, like maybe in some cities it's different, but like you, you could, I could see it in my small town in Alberta. I've seen it a lot too. And it was created that way, like indigenous communities were created and put in a certain area and like um, settler communities were made to be separate from there and often they would be as far away as they could from indigenous communities, like so it's kind of like the foundation. Um, and then the other part is, is the emotional and when I think of emotional it's all about relationships and being in community and so that's like the other thing right they kind of go together where we lack our cultures and our um, commu emotional relationships um, where we don't have uh, I don't know if it's not we have the capacity but we don't um, it's like not a focus for people or it's maybe it's too like hard or scary or um, it's just not a thing that you really see people um, caring too much about, and then when you when you start to care, I think is a is a big thing because when you start to care for each other and the future, you know, like you have to you have to start changing, and um, and then you have the risks of of it too, the emotional risks of like caring and then being hurt because somebody else is hurting, like that kind of stuff, right? I think some people just kind of mask mask themselves um, yeah so I like I always have hope <laughs> that things could change um, and I really do believe like individuals have a power to to make a difference um, and and and, and um, in like the medicine wheel teachings that I I use it is that um, the 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 circle is also a concentric circle, so the individuals at the in the middle, and then everything they do ripples out to to others around them. And in my research, I found that as well is that when an individual chose to do um, practice their culture, then it influenced their family, their friends, and like it just had a ripple effect on others. They just saw, oh, look at this person is like, you know, maybe living a sober life, and then like that's what happened with me and then my siblings too they they like pretty much all my family now is um sober we're all a sober you know we don't do that at family gatherings we never have but like it just uh that changes uh catches on you know catches on to people see it Sharnia you have a question it looks like 
Yes, I do, of course. I first want to just start off by saying thank you for coming to uh, this meeting and just being able to talk to us and share Indigenous knowledge. I think it's super, super important. And also congratulations on your master's, of course. <laughs> um, I, I feel like you kind of talked a little bit about this, but um, I think art is such a huge part of Indigenous knowledge and foundation. And I would love to know more about your journey to actually being a hoop dancer and how you sort of got into that and how you see it connects to environmental issues or Indigenous issues as a whole as well. Mm -hmm. awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I actually started when I was really young in tap dance and ballet and all of that lyrical contemporary. So I did a lot of Western dance styles as a kid. And um, when I got to high school, I stopped going because there was um, like the social aspect of it where I didn't feel belonging. I was always the only Native girl in all of my classes. And over like, especially when you're a teenager, you start to look at um, your social situation, right? And, and so that had a big influence on me on, on stopping dance, even though I loved it. Um, so I just kind of fell away from it. But then when I went to um, a few years after high school, I went to university and I met my hoop dance teacher and he um, he shared the teachings and the stories behind it, the different meanings of it. And um, that made a huge impact. And so I had tried powwow dancing before, but I only got to know a little bit of the stories. And so it wasn't as impactful when you have that, like I said, that spark of like the why do we do this? You know, that's kind of the most important of why are we doing this? And, um, and feeling like you have agency, I think, too, is another thing that like you might like to, to save the world is like doesn't feel very hopeful, but to just do something for yourself is a, or to change yourself is, you know, achievable. Um, so the hoop dance is actually uh, represents creation, the beauty of the world, but there's also in between the shifting of the hoop, hoops and the shapes, there's a moment of struggle or challenge in between. And um, so the lessons are beauty and struggle in life. And so that's um, like the definition of life is that we always have beauty around us, but we also go through challenges and those help us they actually help us to grow and so we don't look at challenge as something like you avoid and like run away from it's like go through the hoops over and over and to to get the hang of it right so it's like not that we are always know the know the answers or the solution but like the practice of it is um makes us stronger makes us wiser helps us to learn it's like an opportunity for growth when you have a challenge or a struggle and so it's like a really a growth mindset. Um, yeah, I think I'll, I'll, I'll share that. So yeah, when you like, when you see the hoop dance, you see birds and animals and like globes and they could be the sun and the moon and the, the energy of it like spinning, I guess. And yeah, the, um, the circle itself too is, um, represents unity and like, um, that everything, like the circle of life, so it's representative of all, all of life and that everyone's included. And it's about 
um, unity, balance, inclusion, and equality. So it's like not a hierarchy, it's equality. And then the, the motion of the circle is it always goes around. And so there's no beginning and no ending. So it's not a linear type of thought, but it's also what you do comes back to you. So it's like about responsibility. So not to say that anybody's perfect, but it's just that being trying to be aware of what your actions are because there's consequences. So it's almost like a natural law of um, like karma, I, I guess somebody might say, but it's like your your actions have consequences and you need to try your best to uh, um, do good and put good into the world and, and try not to do bad, you know, but it's not it's not about perfection, right? Because the, the imperfections is also like helps us too. Yeah. I'll let Arshad say his question. Say his question. I just wanted to say about that interesting point that you made about responsibility. Or um, I, I think Arshad actually had touched upon this as well. The ownership thing and the difference in Western. And it seems like a good moment to sort of bring that up. Um, sort of what you had mentioned is that um, uh, response. Like a one thing that I had read was that. Uh, the response of that the way different a way an entirely different way of looking at ownership um, of things uh, is that in Western in Western civilization in general the concept the very reasonable concept of ownership is that you have the rights to the resources of the things that you own that you that we are it it, it, it like presupposes a difference in hierarchy of beings and that that the land is like the land is a thing that you have that you can extract that you extract from if you own it and those things are for you and how you can you that that you have the ability to choose and do things with it because you have ownership of it that's our sort of concept of that and that i i sort of had read that owner that's that concept does not even exist in like indigenous but it's like ownership is responsibility for this Thing for for this other this resource that that you have and it and this is what was really strange to me is that that you have that ownership becomes the responsibility extends to seven generations that you that it extends to seven generations beyond and that's sort of a very strange concept um i will i just wanted to sort of bring that up I, you have to comment on it now i know arshad had a question but i just wanted to sort of bring that up in case it in in the discussion somewhere arshad go ahead so i just wanted to say in like here in america we have like a big um evangelical you know uh christian movement and they're very like spiritual so i just want to ask like what are the the positives of indigenous like spirituality compared to like um you know what the the potential negatives that like we see uh here in america in the states you know with um with negative you know spirituality um i think two things came up for me right away and, and one of the is the concept of ownership and so like what i understand i i actually was raised catholic so maybe i'll like that's kind of the um the what I know most about, but one of the things that they say with the Western um, cultures or uh, Christianity is 
um, from the Bible, man was given dominion over earth. And so it directly links to that idea that um, we ownership of the earth, right? And so that's where some of the damage comes from. And that's what we just talked about of being responsible to the earth, to take care of the earth and to the future generations. Whereas in the in the Christianity, it's like man was given dominion over earth. Um, and that's a very different, like that's how the worldview is different and creates different actions, right? That's a very... Um, kind of explicit one. Um, the other thing I've seen is like with indigenous worldviews, it's not oppressive. It's um, people say like the concept of non-interference. And so it's like not um, not dictating what other people should do or believe or their actions or their beliefs um, and values, right? So there were shared values that were um, like um, about respecting others, respecting other opinions, and um, and uh, when when I was saying about the teachings as an option of knowing is like so you have to one you have to be a good role model right and that's the one thing with like some of the the very far right Christians I see is like they don't role model very well like they say they're one thing and they don't do it. Um, and so that's the difference is like you are traditional leadership was like you you look at what somebody does and not what they say and um our our political and leadership now is like the opposite it's like people just make empty random promises of like what they're gonna do and then they never actually do it and um i feel that people don't look at that it's like a myth of meritocracy so People say like the best people for the job always get in, and if you look at like um, like Elizabeth May, I was looking at like her resume and her education. I'm like, this woman is like the most educated, experienced person to be our prime minister, and and she like no, she wasn't even on the map, you know, like for most for most people, she wasn't even considered, and so you you kind of see that. Well, it's not about the best person it's like more about ideologies and stuff like that so it's kind of sad but um i think when we're aware of it like we could start to change when we talk about it when we're aware of it we could start to start to change and talk to other people about it too like i think these are important conversations you know that that help people like see understand each other and understand um the world our world. I hope that answered the questions. I don't know if I went off on a tangent. No, no, it was good. It was good. And Tina, you have a question? Yeah. Um, I just wanted to know, like, um, since their childhood or something, have you ever heard of like certain proverbs or any sayings or teachings in your culture that you still follow? Um. Yeah. I. I had the like lots of values um, taught to me not like teaching this is our value but just um, um, like respect like not making fun of other people was a big thing that we weren't allowed to do like if somebody's like made fun of another person for 
like whatever reason their clothes or their hair or something like we got in trouble for that like not to not to like be mean to others um like respect your elders was something and then um taking um like taking care of like the earth and just like uh in different ways but it was just simple things of like recycling and like um, just having a humble kind of life, I guess, and we didn't have a lot of things. Um, but yeah, uh, I don't know if there's a proverb specifically that I could think of. But it was, um, yeah, those were just some of the, the values and things that I was um, taught by the way my parents um, parented us. Can I also say that um, it was, um, sorry, Shani, give me a second. Just going to say that um, that it was from speaking with you earlier. Um, it's so interesting because, you know, you're talking when we when I hear you talk about this, it sounds like, oh, you know, um, it's really obvious and clear to see all this these like the stories and the good and you're gonna follow these things and you had all these sort of wonderful things but you told us when we met that you sort of grew up entirely sort of ashamed of like where you had come from and that like um and so you didn't realize all the sort of great things that you had sort of around you um I mean we can all say that as children but I'm saying that that um you know, Western. When you talk about not enough, very welcoming. Like it's, it. Um, like, can you talk about sort of your how you came to find to realize that um, that the traditions and the customs and the that it, like like it wasn't about like trying to shed these things. It was about trying to like embrace them. Yeah, I think learning the history of what happened. Um, in terms of like residential schools and like treaties and Indian Act and all of that stuff that we were forced on reserve and like that had a huge impact on me and part of it too was like even in Alberta it was illegal to dance and practice ceremony so it was obviously like a huge threat to someone that we do pray and um, that we even dance and celebrate was a huge threat right to to, to people um, and people were arrested like people really put their lives on the line just to make sure the culture continued and so that was huge and it's like okay this is really important and then the other part of it was like oh seeing that like a lot of our people still have a lot of trauma and that's manifest in like addictions and stuff like that so it's like not that realizing that oh no they're just they're not just inferior people like there is really something more to it right because I didn't understand why I was seeing like homeless native people more than others and and then when I learned the history I was like oh that is so like that's so wrong like that that people were treated like this and then um, just made me understand because even my husband attended day school and residential school so it's like that age our age like 40 and over there's a chance that they had attended and um, and I still feel like it's a whole thing about like gaslighting people to to not 
believe our reality and I still feel this today I still feel people are still trying to like no no you're not right your ways are, are not gonna help and like there's there's still uh, people who are very um, like don't want to um, acknowledge indigenous um, ways or people or even residential school like the denialism is still out there so um, knowing the history, the education and the history, and then um, cha- like being living my life in a good way be- really gave me confidence too. Cause like, oh no, I'm not, I like, I'm sober, I'm healthy, I'm strong. Like I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not dumb. Like I know what I'm talking about. And so all of that experience, it came with experience and, and just knowing like who I am like no I'm not that what you think I am or like that's not true so um, that gave me confidence Sharnia that was actually kind of my question um, just talking about sort of the challenges you might have faced um, in terms of empowering indigenous knowledge so I appreciate you sharing that. If there's anything else you would like to add, um, I would love to hear that. I also had another question um, in terms of like sort of the everyday social institutions, whether that's school or any other kind of institutions we interact with, what sort of changes would you like to see so that Indigenous knowledge isn't treated as something as as the part of the past or kind of like how you're saying how it's not being treated as a real thing? Um, what kind of changes could actually take place to help empower that perspective that you share um definitely just more often more learning about the history like in in germany they they teach the holocaust like you have to teach it you have to teach that and so i feel like in the same way we have to really teach it um to everybody and um not um like especially in Alberta, our curriculum, they're trying to like really minimize it right now. Um, but the more diversity, the better. There's this um, book, it's called The End of Average. And the book basically says that there's no such thing as a normal or average person. There's only diversity in the world. Like there's no normal, there's no average, everybody is diverse. And so this false kind of not false idea that there's like a normal curriculum or average knowledge or curriculum or person is just, um, yeah, so wrong that, I don't know, it's just wrong, right? It just doesn't exist. And so the curriculum is basically not created for anybody. So I would like to see it just as diverse as possible, like as much diversity as possible. Like everything should be diverse. And um, even myself, when I see diversity, I feel welcome. So if I see like a lesson on like black history, I feel it's safe for me because I know they're honoring diversity. If I see a pride flag, I know that they're accepting of diversity and it feels safe for me. So diversity is best for everybody. It's inclusive for everybody. Um, But then with Indigenous people, it's just that like, this is our land, our territory. We don't have any place else to go to learn or to keep, you know, 
this is all we have is what's here. <laughs> like, this is the only place we have. Um, so I think, um, like, learning about where you live and, um, like, the plants and the animals and, like, the stories of the, the landscape and the mountains of where you live, I think, is um, just so important to know who you are, where you are, and to respect the land you're on. Yeah. I think I saw another question here. Yes. Yes. Do you want to? Oh, Ali, do you want to? Oh, I was just going to say I saw a question in the chat. I was going to read out loud, but if Sammy wants to read out loud, that'd be fine. Oh, I can sure. Um, I was just wondering how you think it would positively affect students to learn the true history of your country, um, like how things really happened, the good and the bad of it, and uh, how things are being done right now to make things better, to make things right, and um, how it would benefit um, the people that grow up to become if they learn about all this stuff as they should. Um, well, I think that just knowing um, knowing the truth because of the inequality, right? The inequality. And there is um, a report that came out of BC on healthcare, and it showed that racism, um, racism leads to healthcare workers, one, not, not giving, um, not treating indigenous people um, properly with their services and judging them so they're either withholding healthcare services because they just have like oh this person is um maybe they're drunk and so they're not really sick right um things like that so these um, racist ideas um are impacting people's health and so i feel like if we talked about the truth and people thought, oh, it's not just like it would it would help with the racist stereotypes um, and racist thinking that like, oh, indigenous people are dying and, and they're lazy and all of these bad things that we that people still believe. Um, and then they'll say, oh, no, they they were disenfranchised from land and now they don't have any. Um, resources to survive right like that's um, a very different message than like oh they're just not working hard enough and so it would impact um, like very real things um, in terms of equality and inequities that are happening and one of the things that happened with me and my husband is when we were applying for a mortgage and we used his last name Yellowhorn and we didn't get any um, offers and both university educated and good credit and he had a good job. Um, and then our mortgage broker said, you should use, do an, an anonymous application, which I didn't know you could do. And so when we did that, we got multiple offers. And so it was like, that's, that's the power of like the racist stereotypes, right? Um, this happened about 10, 10 or so, 15 years ago or something, a while ago. No, probably about 10 years ago. And um, one of the banks that originally turned us down actually changed their mind when they didn't see the Indigenous last name on the application. And so it's just like, oh, wow, there's really um, 
yeah, there's like really racism and ine- that causes inequality. So I, I feel I, like that's where the, the teaching the history and the hard parts of history comes into play. On the, on the, on the other side of that, um, in, in addition to moving towards um, knowing, the, knowing, like we said, knowing the stories and the, and the, the, the actual thing and like admitting those things have, have happened. Um, uh, what about the idea that like, as I, as I said, when we were investigating things, like, I, I don't know, I think that most of us on our team were really convinced that we were going to come up against a lot of like, it's just people needing a lot of help from other from outside sources and it's sort of amazing how many the how many um that not not to say that that so that that how 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 different communities will have worked together with the little they have to figure out how to best um like if they're constantly on diesel and that's what they're on and they're constantly using stuff from the land and they realize they're just depleting and depleting and depleting they they get together and they decide to use something different they decide to do something different that's going to benefit their community or change it and um like sort of we that's sort of very long it's very long-term thinking and and able to implement things within a community and i feel like 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 being able to be exposed to them to be exposed to that more as as sort of non-indigenous peoples as well as of course of course but as both peoples to be exposed to sort of that thinking more would be sort of very helpful to sort of changing views and sometimes it seems like you know you're talking about how welcoming and everyone is welcome and i when when you actually try to talk with people or be involved i'm sure everyone is welcome but at the beginning it seems like oh we could never like it's we're not going to be welcome and learn about that because we just don't have that background or we don't have that like we can't understand and no one is going to allow us to be involved with that because we don't have indigenous background so as well as, as much as understanding the heart and, and admitting the heart the horrible things that happen in reconciliation is an idea that to be able to see the kinds of things that are very forward that that working together and solving big problems allows you to accomplish and being able to um, be involved in that and, and as one of the things that and this kind of thing is context is like are, are there ways that we could actually get involved in things and it's hard to know what those things could be um i i think it like that's that it starts with relationships right yeah just talking and like i saw this article on facebook and it was uh it was about the visiting among indigenous women as like a way of um like as a as a pedagogy i think it was or like as a um yeah but it was like these relationships and this talking is like so important and i think people um like indigenous people really um utilize that talking and like um um eat like 
feasting, eating together, and like those kind of gatherings, learning together, talk, visiting, you know, just talking to each other. Um, and that's kind of where, um, like, that's why people say, you know, relationship building, relationship building. And so it's important to like actually just spend time together without also an agenda or just like talk about like how we are like having conversations like this um so it just takes time i think and sometimes people go into things and like want to like um rush and i feel like indigenous people is like more like taking things easy and and being cautious and careful um with with what they're doing yeah um yeah i feel like the um the reason why like we can't have this these like relationships and like community building is because just how like atomized our modern society is and like how how separate we are i mean you see it even in like the basics of city planning where we have single family zoning with like specific lot sizes where everybody is separated and like nobody can be like together yeah, and um, like the productivity, you know, like people don't think as relationship as like doing anything like so that's like not valued in our in a capitalist society, like relationship building isn't really, um, wasn't really like if you're going to do a program, right? Like um, there, it always has to be really structured and budgeted and, and planned and, and um, that's not really the way Indigenous um, traditions and worldview works. It's, it's like a little bit, a little bit of chaos of like going with the, going with the moment sometimes or going with like, maybe going with the climate or the weather or whatever is happening. Like it's not easy to, to do grant work or to do planning um, and budgeting all the time when it's, um, when it's a little bit open to going with the flow and of things. <laughs> It's not, um, um, Indigenous culture is not really, um, yeah, it just doesn't fit in with, um, very well within some of the Western capitalist ways of thinking. I think that's so interesting about what you're saying about it. it, it what's really funny is that, that um, I think if you, like, it's fairly established anywhere that the things that the things that sort of drive us to live to for anything is is purpose is purpose is that's purpose and that comes with um that comes from relationships with with things and doing things and feeling like um relationships between people and um uh i do think that we that i i, I do agree with you that, that there's not much um we look at we look at building relationships or stopping by and visiting or uh um we do we look at that as sort of wasting time a little bit right and that is not that's sort of the whole thing and i i was just reading the other day about how uh the story like this what you're talking about is not it's not like just so important the story is like the whole the why we're here like the whole thing is 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 your story that's all that's all not your things not your priorities or what you think are important but the story is just a story that whatever story that you create and stories are 
are are made up of relationships. So if you're that's basically the entire reason why we're here is to build relationships. So the fact that we didn't put importance on that. So Sharnia, go ahead. Yeah, um, I was kind of going to add to that, like I totally agree, especially Sandra, a lot of the stuff you were saying when it comes to relationships, I think that's such an important part in terms of environmental climate justice as well. Like, I think it's not just relationships with between people, but it's also relationships that we have with land, with resources, with water. And I was wondering why you think the community-based approach is important to addressing climate justice or even for indigenous reconciliation um what sort of role does community play um in addressing these problems um i i was thinking um as we were talking about relationships about one thing my cousin told me i was saying i was visiting with him on the phone the other day and he said uh Traditionally, our tribes were actually, um, he said they were capped at a certain number. And he said that number is 200. He made me guess. I couldn't guess. But it, he said 200 members of a, of a community, of a tribe, of a nation, you know, like of a, of a group. Um, your community would be no more than that. So he said, he told me to think of my tribe as the closest 200 people I'll ever have in my life. And he said, you know, you, you're going to have people that are going to be like kicked out of your tribe or they're going to outgrow them or you're going to have new people. But it was such a different, like for me, it's different because even if you look at social media and like you have thousands of people, like that's just way too many to have a, it's like almost too many to have a, um, have a good relationship or a solid relationship, right? And um I feel like our our value system is like quantity of people, you know, quantity of relationships. Like I have so many followers and stuff, um, but it's really um, quality that needs to happen. Quality relationships, people who are on on your side and support you, and that you visit with, um, and that you could call on to help help you as well. Um, yeah, so community is like, for me, it's that people have different skills and different gifts. And so um, when those come together is like important um, that that they're diverse, right? Because uh, what I feel like part of the problems is that like we have lots of people in leadership that are think the same. And that was my experience working in education. It's like they're all educators and they all did education and that's the problem is they only think like educators and they can't think beyond that and so my i felt like that was my strength is that i could help them to think differently on um, indigenous history and reconciliation and and how to um, use different ways of knowing like in the classroom that was my strength is that i didn't think like them like that's that's the strength of community is like you have people that don't think the same, um, you know, uh, and have different gifts. And so our beliefs is that everybody has a gift and some people it's like very practical things um, um, in terms of organizing. And some people it's just like they have, yeah, just, just special things that like I can't do all, I can't do everything. And, and, 
if we work together, right, then we have each other to do like one little piece of the puzzle, one little piece of the challenge, and that makes it like just easier, I guess. And I think the um the the point you made about like the the population of the tribe being capped at three hundred, I think that's really interesting because um I read that the Greeks thought that democracy w- could only work if you have a system of like small city states. So like I think they also understood that um you could we can only work together like very effectively if we have um, tight knit communities with um and if everybody like. Um, is interested in uh, the benefits of everyone, is interested in like the preservation of, of everybody's well-being. So when you expand so big into like huge nation states, uh, you kind of lose that. And so like I think this like indigenous um, idea of like uh, close-knit communities and, and close relationships, you know, it really onto something. Yeah, I didn't know that. Thanks for sharing. That's really cool. Like, I think, uh, yeah, I think some of the knowledge is like universal, human universal in different cultures. Okay, so I think we are sort of winding down in our sort of power. Does anyone have some uh, that Sandra has been so nice to share with us? And also, yeah, I want to thank you so much for um, um, giving us your time. We'll, we will want to continue to stay in touch with you, of course. <laughs> um, but um, does anyone else have any some comments that they want to um, add before we sort of go? Last things? Yes, Sharnia? I promise this is the last time. Like, <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I just want to say thank you again for coming and talking to us this has been so so great and just hearing your perspective and the connection you share with art as well has been really really insightful and I appreciate that and yeah I just wanted to take the time to thank you <laughs> so yeah. yes thank you so much for coming and any of any of the blog squad any, any last words guys I feel like this is a really insightful discussion. Um, I did end up dropping out at some point because my audio has just not been working this morning. Um, but it was really interesting to hear about like the meaning behind the hula hooping, like Sharnia mentioned, and then also your perspectives on how like the racism has affected you and your life personally, and about the tight knit communities that you guys have formed. So honestly, this was a really eye opening discussion. And I hope like a lot of people can learn from it and. Thank you so much for your time and coming in to talk to us about these things for an hour. I know like you probably need water now like from talking for so long, but it was really it was really beneficial to all of us here and I'm really glad that you were able to make it. Yes. Thank you so much. Joao, do you have all this uh, captured and Sandra, do you have any last thoughts for us? Um You have, okay, great. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say thank you, and um, I was, my son has been really interested in art, um, drawing and stuff, and I was telling him it's like, um, you're creating, and it like connects directly to our, our, our creator and our creation, the world is, you know, the, the earth is like creation, right? So it's just very beautiful to connect um, the art that we create with the, with the 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 world that 
like the creation of the world and the greater creation. So I was just connecting that for him the other day because he said it makes me feel so good. Like it's so good to, you know, to create something, right? It's like the opposite of the dis- destruction, right? Um, it's about creating, you know, creating and we have that power like to create. And uh, I was um, in my beadwork, in my outfit, I, I like create my own identity and I create my own life, right? So it's like all tied into that, like we create our, our own worlds um, just by what we do, by what we say, where we put our energy. So I think I just want to leave um, with that idea. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for coming again. Thank you. And thank you guys, everyone, for attending. I really appreciate that. And Joao, especially for recording. (laughs) And um, we look forward to sort of writing a bigger, like putting this on the podcast for more people to hear and also writing an article to hopefully, again, share, start building awareness of stuff. And and we want to sort of uh, focus and keep our, we actually want to keep on this topic for like the blog squad, we sort of want to keep focusing on this because it's so important um, and it's so large. It's like it has so many different facets and so many different things that, um, yeah, this is something we want to keep focusing on and hopefully um, work on building relationships with um, other people as well (laughs) as we go that we can talk with and yeah, and learn more. So thank you very much, Sandra. Okay. You're welcome. Thank you.